uh, I know it's kind of a big day today. Um, it, it's, it's Father's Day. Can we take a moment and just honor all the fathers in the room? We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And um, fatherhood's the best hood, in my opinion. Uh, I have the privilege of being a father. I'm a, I'm a girl dad. I got a picture of my girls, actually. Uh, yeah. I got Genevieve. She's eight. She's absolutely amazing. I got Juliana. She's two. She's a work in progress. And uh, it's awesome. I know what you're thinking. I got to address the elephant in the room. What did we do to get a two-year-old to stay still and take a picture? We threatened her a lot. That's our, that's our favorite form of parenting, just empty threats. Um, oh, and you might not have noticed, but the redhead there, that's Jenna. And okay, long story short, when me and my wife first got married almost 10 years ago, uh, I said, you know what, babe? I would love to adopt a white baby. I would just love to do it. Because of your reaction, because you've never seen it done before. You always see it reverse. You see Angelina Jolie go adopt half of Africa. You've seen, you've seen the random, you know, kids. You're like, huh. But you never see it the other way. And so I was like, man, I'd love for us to be the first, be trailblazers. And uh, so five years ago, we came to Arizona and we got connected with Jenna. And Jenna's originally from North Carolina, so she doesn't have any family out here. So we we're like, girl, come be a part of our family. Like, you're in Hamilton now. And now, like, that picture was, I think that was at Thanksgiving. Like, she doesn't miss holidays. She's the perfect baby. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's awesome. All my dreams came true. But also, all my suspicions were confirmed once we unofficially adopted Jenna. Because instantly, my credit went up. My kid was on a waiting list for a charter school before. Once we brought in Jenna, she was straight in. Didn't even have to wait no more. She just got in. Uh, when I get pulled over, I'm a little less nervous because I'm like, hold on, bro. Officer, I got a Jenna, though. I'm, we're good. I got a, I got a Jenna. It's, it's awesome. I try to tell all my ethnic friends, like, hey, y'all need to get in on, on this. Adopt. Okay. It's fun for us. Uh, y'all ready for the word? You're like, Yeah. Just give us Jesus and nothing else. Okay. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 13. We're going to go right there. Second Kings chapter 13. And just to give you a little context of what we're going to be diving into today. Uh, we're walking into a situation where the people of God are freaking out. Because the man of God, the prophet Elijah, is dying. It's the fourth quarter. For him. Matter of fact, it's overtime for him. He's, he's on his last moments. And so people are stressing out because they don't know what to do because for an entire generation to an entire people group, he has been the sole voice of God. And now he's about to be gone and they don't know what to do. And so we're going to dive into this and I hope y'all are ready. Are y'all ready? Because I've been, I've been holding back a little bit. I feel like the 430 service is where the real Christians are at. Okay. I also make sure we're on the same page. Elijah chapter uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, we'll start at verse 14. It says this, when Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. I want to stop right there because I want you to notice something. This is a severe situation and the king himself has come to the man of God. Well, like the king didn't send a text Hope you feel better. He didn't, you know, he didn't send someone else to say hey, the king's condolences with you. Like he went himself because the situation was that severe. And it makes me wonder, what do we do and where do we go in severe situations? And I know what you're doing. You're Christians. And you're like, oh, I go to God. Do you? Do you? Like, or do you go to your Facebook group to complain? Or do you go to that group text to, to talk about your own? Or do, you, or do you go inside your own mind and your own thoughts and start overanalyzing and overthinking and getting drowned in fear and getting lost in your anxieties? Like, where do we go when the situation is severe? Are we actually fasting and praying and getting godly counsel? Like, what do we do? And then notice this. He said, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. He cried. Now, that's important because Elisha's predecessor was Elijah. That was the OG prophet. And he didn't even die when he died. He got carried by a chariot of fire straight to heaven. Like he straight, Katniss Everdeen did straight from earth to heaven. And so the people knew that. And so what the king is saying is, I see what happened to him about to happen to you. And it, and it ate at his soul. He cried about it. It made him emotional. Why? 
Because you can not care about what you do not see. Me and my wife, every once in a while, we'll have what um, I call passionate disagreements. You might call them arguments. We don't argue in the Hamilton family. We just have passionate disagreements, okay? And typically it happens because I'm not seeing what she's seeing from her perspective. So like I see myself as an amazing husband and father, like every day is Father's Day to me. And you know what I mean? Like husband's day, because I think more highly of myself than I should. So pray for me, it's my sin. And she sees me as inconsistent and um, I can be physically present, but mentally and emotionally absent. And uh, I, I say I love her and I, I, I want to do a date day, but I never put it on the calendar enough to make it consistent. I'm giving off free game, husbands, like put it on the calendar. Thank me later. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> and so she sees that. And so it's not until I see what she sees that I can care enough to change. Let me help you. If you don't see the world in desperate need of a savior, not as a liberal issue or a conservative issue, but a spiritual issue to where you are needing to point people to Jesus, you'll never care enough to do it. You'll just blow it off as that's someone else's problem or that's the pastor's problem or or we should just pray. No, no, you have to see it to care, to change. And that's what we see the king doing. And then go down to verse 15. It says, Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. And Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Athak. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. Everybody say three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. Then Elijah died and was buried. Sheesh, that's like a drastic ending. So I need you to do me a favor. I need you to uh, look, at the per- look at the person next to you. Look him dead in the eyes. Look at her. Don't look at me. And tell him, look, stare at him. Don't laugh. Like, let him know you're serious. Let it get awkward. It's okay. And tell him, don't stop on three. They're not listening to you. Find somebody else. Turn to the person you ignored the first time, your plan B option. Find someone else. Tell them, don't stop on three. Don't stop on three. Don't need Jesus in this service. Let's pray. God help. Help me, God, to communicate this with clarity, conviction, the way you deposited it to my spirit. I pray, God, that you help us to receive it, help it to be good ground that the seed falls on. God, we don't want to just be entertained. We don't want to just be educated. We want an encounter with the living word so that we can be transformed from the inside out and we can leave here differently than we came. We believe in that. We're believing you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and all the Golden State Warriors fans said, amen, amen. amen. Uh, a lot of people think my wife are super spiritual because we work at a church and we lead ministries here. And that's true some days. But... We've been together since we were 15 years old, and I'll tell you the truth. At the age of 15, we were a lot more like Bonnie and Clyde than Mary and Joseph, okay? And uh, we used to do this thing where I would, because you know how it is when you're 15. You're like, you're in love, and you got to be around each other, and you just always, it's just disgusting. It's pathetic. It's gross. Every time one of my teenagers starts dating, I was like, I can't wait till you break up. It's going to be awesome. And... Uh, we would do this thing where we, would, we always went to separate high schools. Like we've never actually gone to the same high school, you know, our entire life. And so what we would do is I would c- call her school, Rodriguez High School, and I would say, hi, this is Rick Quiles, Delicia Sanchez's grandfather. Uh, she's not feeling too well today, so I'm going to need you to release her early. I'm going to come pick her up. Let her come outside and meet me. All right, thank you, bye. And they would do it. And then she would call my high school, Jesse Bethel High School in Vallejo, California, I'm name dropping because the statute of limitations is gone and they need some accountability for the administration. That sucks. I'm trying to save the future. And uh, she would say, hello, this is Wanda Housie, Justin Hamilton's mother. Uh, He's not feeling too well today, so I'm going to come pick him up early. I need you to release him. Thank you. Goodbye. And they would do it. And then because I was only 15 and I have a car, I would just get a ride with my friend who was a senior and he would take me home. 
and I'll get home early. And my grandmother, she lived with me for most of my life growing up and she would be home. And grandma, she loved to do two things. She loved to talk about Jesus and she loved to take naps. And oftentimes the two things bled together to where like one minute she's talking about Jesus and then in the middle of Jesus loves you, she's snoring, you know what I mean? And she's like dead cold. Like sometimes you're like, grandma, you still there? Yeah, she's just asleep. She's all right. And uh, so what I would do is I would wait till grandma fell asleep and I would take her grandma van and I would go to another city to pick up my girlfriend from around the corner from her school. And we did this all the time, uh, like all the time. It was terrible. I don't know how I passed in 10th grade. And one time I went to pick her up and uh, she was in the neighborhood by her school and I went to get her. And then all of a sudden I saw a cop car in the vicinity next to me. And so I'm driving a little bit and then the cop car is a little close to me. And so she sees the cop car and then I see the cop car. And so she takes off running because we from the hood. And so when you see cops, you run. And, <laughs> and then I would drive off, you know, and, and then I'm driving and then the cop follows me. And so I make a left and then he made a left and then I made a right and then he made a right. And I'm going like 15 miles an hour. So it's like a low speed pursuit chase. You know what I mean? Like I've committed Grand Theft Auto already from my grandma and now I'm on an O.J. Simpson escape, you know what I mean, in a grandma van. And uh, I pulled over in front of some random house and I jumped out the car and I started, I walked to a random door and I just started fumbling the keys like I'm trying to get inside the house. And the cop pulls over and he gets outside his car and he says, hey, what you doing? I said, I'm trying to go home. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. He said, you don't live there. I said, yes, I do. He said, I know the people live there. I said, oh. He said, you came to pick up that girl who ran. I said, yes, I did. <laughs> he said, let me see your license. I said, I ain't got one. He said, let me get your parents' phone number. So I give him the house phone. And y'all understand what a house phone is, huh? Because when I tell this story to students, they don't know what a house phone is. Cause, so I love talking to people that are dying because y'all understand. That's awesome. It's so good to be here. And so I gave him the number and so he said, go home right now. I said, yes, sir. And I went right home. And then I get home and my grandma is wide awake at the door. She says, where were you? I said, I went for a walk. She said, no, you didn't. I said, oh, she said, Officer Williams already called and said, you took the car. I said, yeah, yeah, he did. She said, you need to be thankful he didn't arrest you. I said, I am. He said, let's go praise God and thank Jesus for sparing you. I said, okay. So we went in the room and we prayed to Jesus. And then grandma fell asleep, so I stole the car again to go pick up Delicia because she was still in that neighborhood. Because I'm not a quitter. And anything could have happened to her in that suburban neighborhood right by her school. Y'all judgmental at the 430, man. But two things were always consistent in my life to this day. I'll do something stupid. My grandma will pray for me. That's the cycle. And um, a lot of you... We're actually a part of this. On April 26th, I, uh, I got in a car accident at five in the morning. I was going to the gym and uh, I actually hit a, a cop car SUV. I dozed off for a second. I woke up, I smacked a cop car SUV, flipped his car over and turned it around. I don't know why, I, I don't know what it is with me and cops. Um, and then I spun out three lanes to the middle of the freeway and miraculously no one else hit me. I was going 70 miles an hour at the time and you were all praying for me. Many of you were praying for me. So I wanna say thank you for your prayers. And um, I honestly believe that the reason my life was spared that day was because for the past 31 years, I've had a grandma that has been praying for me every single day of my life for God's mercy and his favor and his grace to cover me. And so to me, my grandma is a living legend. And um, I'm, I've been really obsessed with legacy and, and legends my entire life. Matter of fact, when I was 18 years old, the first thing I did was go get a tattoo because that's what 18 year olds do, right? I didn't tell my mom, I didn't ask mom. I just said, I'm grown now, I'm 18, you can't tell me nothing, even though I live in your house. And I went and got a tattoo. And it said, living legend, all across my back. And I took a coworker who I barely knew to go with me for moral support. And he's like, what does it mean? That's awesome. I was like, I don't nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative, it gets the people going. <laughs> and uh, I honestly did not know what it meant. I just knew it's who I wanted to aspire to be. And then uh, a couple years ago, we had our, our second child, Juliana, and we named her middle name Legacy because I figured you're the end of the line. So for better or for worse, you're my legacy. And then last week I found out that uh, I'm, science is a lie and I'm having a third child. It's a boy and his name will be, yes, the son that science couldn't stop, which I feel like was a waste of money for the past five years. 
And his name's going to be Justice Bryant, RIP dad. Not my real dad, Kobe. But anyway, uh, Justice Bryant, legend, Hamilton. Legend, right? That's dope. I know. And you're like, what does this have to do with Jesus? Not much, but it's a pretty cool story. Y'all got to hear. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God gave me a message for those who God is raising up some living legends in this generation. Some people who will live a life building the kingdom of God by living a life of legacy on earth. And I believe that God is speaking to some of you. And this message might not be for everybody, but it's for somebody. Somebody that has big faith, that's believing God for big things. And you're not going to settle with what has been. You're going to believe for much more in your life and in your family and in your future. And I believe that as we look at the word of God for how to live that life out, that we're going to see God do things that we've never seen before. We're going to see God give us victories that other people have given up on and they've, they've lost the will to even fight. So if that's you, tell somebody next to you, say, he's talking to me. I love how it's three of us. That's all we need for right now. Let's go. Let's keep going. Second Kings chapter 13. I want us to relook at it again with fresh eyes. Okay. Second Kings 13. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. It said, Elijah told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elijah told him, get a bow and some arrows. Elijah told him. The thing we need to start doing as we're told. Write this down. Listen to the word of God. I believe that God is trying to tell us some things as a people and we're not hearing it because we're not listening. We need to be listening. We need to be in prayer. We need to be fasting. We need to be reading our word. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Notice in the next verse, it says that Elijah told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elijah laid his own hands on the king's hands. That's significant because a lot of us have businesses that we want God to bless. We have relationships that we want God to at least start. You don't even got to bless it. Just start it. Just let me stop swiping. You know what I mean? Like, like we have dreams that we want God to put his hand on, but here's the catch. God will not put his hand on a person who does not have his ear to his heart. You can't ask for God's hand if he can't at least get your ear. So we need to be listening to the word of God. Then look, I want to look at verse 15. It says, Go back. Look at 15. It says, Elijah told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. The king did as he was told. The king did as he was told. Write this down. Stop just listening and start doing. Wait a minute. First you told me to listen. Now you're saying stop listening. What do I do? Yes. Here, can I say it honestly? Okay. We have an obesity problem in the church. We have churches that are filled with fat Christians full of knowledge, but starving of action. Meaning that we have churches full of people who can quote what Jesus said, but refuse to live the way Jesus acted. There's a disconnect. And I, um, I deal with people all the time. They say stuff like, well, I know the Bible says this, but what should I do practically? Practically do what the Bible said. Or, or, or I know the pastor said I shouldn't fill in the blank, but I'm only, or we're still, or, but I'm, we just... Can, can, can you tell the person next to you what I end up having to tell people? Just look at the person next to you and tell them this. Say, your butt is too big. <laughs> Don't be afraid. She can't slap you in church. I told you to say it. The pastor told you to say it. Just tell the truth. Say, your butt is too big. Because here's the fact. There is a blessing that God has for us that your butt is in the way of. I would do it, but I... I want to, but I... I know I should, but I, I know the Bible says, but, and, and, and here's the truth. The breakthrough that you're believing God for is not based on how you pray. It's based on how you obey. Do y'all remember when we could like go to brunch, like go eat, eat outside with people? Like before it was hellishly hot right now and before it was like illegal to be outside with people. You know what I mean? Like. 
You remember a time when like you could go enjoy, like you catch up with a friend, like let's go, let's go to, let's go to brunch, right? Let's go have lunch, let's go eat outside. And then you're going, you're there, you're, you're, you're having your coffee and everything's good and you're about to take your first sip. And then some nice young lady walks by with her failed science experiment on a leash. And you're like, oh, what, what is that? And she's like, oh, no, 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 calm down. I'm sorry. He doesn't bite. It's okay. And you're like, no, 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 no. What, what is it though? And she's like, oh, well, we're not totally sure. We think he's part pit bull, part shih tzu. And you're like, oh, no, he's full ugly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is. And then they try to guilt trip you like, he's a rescue. I don't, no, no, no. Now I need to be rescued because I saw it. You know what I mean? Like, who's going to rescue me? <laughs> Should have saved up and bought a purebred. That's on you. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we get disgusted because we're like, that mutt freaks me out. <laughs> and ironically enough, we live lives that look Instagram perfect and are inwardly a train wreck and look so great externally, and we can post the perfect family picture, but our family is falling apart. And there's, a, there, there's this, this mutt of a life, this, this weird mixture of, of, of partial obedience, which is getting us partial results. Because partial obedience is still disobedience. And so you're like, well, I don't understand why things aren't changing in my life. Because I go to church and I serve and I hold the babies. And why are things still so terrible? Because partial obedience is still disobedience. And we want God to make a masterpiece out of our mess. And we won't surrender to him all the pieces. And so our blessing is hindered by our reluctance to fully commit. And I'm not trying to shame anybody. This is, I want to, I want you to receive all that God has for you. And I'm tired of seeing people miss out on the fullness of what God has for their lives because they haven't fully surrendered it to them. I, uh, one of my, one of my friends, one of our young adults, his name's Andrew Drennan. Uh, he's at the, he, he serves at the South Mountain campus, but he's here today. Uh, and it's awesome because Andrew, he's been serving for the past two years with Gen Youth. And when I met him, he was uh, going to school at Grand Canyon University and studying sports marketing, I think, and uh, just super passionate, working for a pro sports team. And just, he wanted to be like the next general manager to save the Cardinals, you know, like just big dreams. And um, he was like 99% in, just like love students, love God. It was awesome. And I just felt God tell me one day, like, you need to say something to him. So I was like, okay. And so I told him, I said, hey, Andrew, uh, I love what you're doing, bro. I, I know you got big plans on, you know, you know, working in pro sports, but I just feel like God might be calling you to youth ministry one day. And he was like, oh, that's cute, but uh, I actually want to make money with my life. And so, you know, I'll just keep volunteering and you just keep being the youth pastor and it's awesome. It'll be great. And I was like, okay, cool. And then a little while later, a couple months later, I felt like God was telling me to tell him something again. So I did. I said, hey, Andrew, um, I know you just graduated from Grand Canyon University. Uh, allegedly, because it's the middle of a pandemic and no one actually had a real graduation. So I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, did you, did you, you know what I mean? I can't wait for a couple years from now when they start checking resumes and like, wait, you said you graduated in 2020. <laughs> Anybody can graduate in 2020, right? And uh, he was like, I was like, yeah, I know you just graduated and all that, but uh, I think you should consider Generation Leadership College. And he was like, oh yeah, <laughs> you see, I just finished four years of hell. I don't feel like <laughs> going back into it just because it's a church, you know what I mean, affiliated. Uh, I think, you know, I'll pray about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, go ahead, you know. And uh, I don't got a lot of time right now, so I'm just going to tell you all the fun facts. Uh, this past June or April, uh, Andrew just finished his first semester at Generation Leadership College. <laughs> and... Uh, and then just this past month, he quit his full-time job working at a sports company to work part-time as an intern for our South Mountain High School uh, campus. And um, <laughs> gotcha, bro. <laughs> and I tell that story because this is what I believe. I believe that a fully surrendered life to God will cause God to change and move the goalposts of success for your life. Because six months ago, success to Andrew looked like working in stadiums full of professional athletes. But today it looks like sitting in a, a sweaty high school gym watching junior varsity badminton because it's a student he actually knows. And it's all because he gave God his 1%. And I'm not saying that if you give God whatever you're, whatever you're holding on to that he's going to 
make you work at Generation Church. I hope he doesn't because we can't afford all y'all. You know what I mean? <laughs> However, I do wonder, what could God do with your 1%? What could he do in your family? What could he do with your friend group? What could he do in your life if you would just give him your 1%? I, um, I also recognize that some of you feel like I would give God whatever he wanted if he would just talk to me. Like if he would just say something, then I would do it. And a lot of us feel like you haven't heard from God in a while or that maybe he's been purposely on silent, like God's just leaving you unread. You're just throwing up prayer texts to Jesus and he's just, and it's frustrating. And you feel like something's wrong, like there's a disconnect. Let me tell you a secret. You're probably right. Because why would God give you a new word when you never listened to the last one? Why would God waste his breath on someone who won't listen? And I could feel y'all getting offended. I'm not a waste of breath on God. I'm the Imago Dei. It's his breath in my lungs, so I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. (laughs) Let's see what the Bible says. Don't trust me. Isaiah 55 verse 11, amplified, just so it's loud and clear for all you. Christians, and this is God talking, by the way. So will my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless, without result, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. What does that mean? It means that God has a perfect track record of faithfulness that extends back all of existence and he ain't finna let you mess up his record. Meaning that when you are willing, then he is able. So if you haven't heard God recently, it's probably because you wrote something down or listened to a sermon six months ago and never acted on it. So he's done speaking until you start doing. So go back to the last thing he told you, do that, and then you can expect to hear directions further from what's next. Oh, they mad at me. Maybe I'm talking to someone online watching on the iPhone right now in the bathroom because it's hot in Mesa. <laughs> I... Um, I like what James says, James chapter one, verse 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. I had some students come up to me recently and they say, I just don't feel like I'm growing anymore in Gen Youth, so I'm gonna go somewhere else. And at first I'm like, no, 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 please don't leave me. I'll do better, I'll do better, I promise. Come back, please, please, come on, come on, choose me. And then after talking to God and listening to God, through the voice of my wife. Um, God's Puerto Rican in my house. I don't know about y'all, but I realized that I, I, do I need to grow as a leader? Absolutely. Like that's one of our values as a church is never stop growing. We always can, there's always room to grow. However, I was also reminded of the fact that every month we have students that are being baptized from Geneva. Every month we have students that are preaching the gospel to their peers. Like I will sit down and I'll have a 16 year old come and preach and do what I do every single month. Like, like every month we have brand new students to come. Matter of fact, I think last week we had almost 30 kids show up for the first time. So that tells me that it ain't the soil, it's the seed. And if you want something new from God, start doing the basic stuff he's already told you. Because a lot of us, we're like, it's not deep enough. I need a new word. And it's like, you ain't even doing the basics. You want something extraordinary. You're not doing nothing basic. That's why you keep living basic because you won't just do the basic things God's asked you to do. And so we settle for basic lives and complain about the lack of deepness and supernatural and newness. Write this down. Don't stop until God says so. Don't stop until God says so. Listen to the word of God. Don't just listen, but start doing. And then don't stop until God says so. Jesus said in Matthew 18, three, that unless you change and become like, a little, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That's tough. Because I don't know if you realize, like it takes illogical faith to live out the purpose that God designed you to have. Like it is borderline insanity to actually believe and then behave like a child of God. And that's why most of us settle for being orphans rather than sons and daughters. Because orphans, they'll settle for whatever they can do on their own, whatever they can get their hands on, whatever they can control. Sons and daughters, 
believe that their father has the best available for them and he'll give them whatever they need and ask. All they got to do is ask for it. There's a difference. And um, speaking of children, can I get my toys? My big boy toys. Yes, thank you. Y'all turn out the lights. We're going to just take some shots in faith and see where they land. Just kidding. (laughs) Remember the former youth pastor in Generation Church? (laughs) But uh, I I believe that, I believe that um, great ambition is a gift from God. And I love what it said. It said that Elijah said, take the bow and some arrows and shoot it at the eastern window. He said, take a bow and some arrows and shoot it at the eastern. You think, I, nah, I don't want to risk it. We can't afford to replace that. Um, but he said, take a bow and shoot it at the eastern window. And it made me think, how many of us, better question, what are you shooting for in life? Like, like, like what are you shooting for in life? Better question, have you stopped shooting? Have you got to a place where you're just settling for what is because you no longer believe you can shoot for what can be? It takes faith to shoot. It takes faith to, to take a shot, to, to believe. And like I said, I believe that great ambition is a gift from God because it's only as you get older that you stop dreaming and stop believing and stop imagining for more. Because what happens is as you age, you start to base your future expectations off of your past experiences. And so you start to stop shooting as much. And that's why I stay in next-gen ministry. Because even though I'm too old to remember all the TikTok dance moves, and even though uh, I'm just aging myself out and I just keep changing the rules just so I can stay, it keeps me young to dream big with young people and to believe God for big things. And to have that childlike faith. Because honestly, y'all mature adults are low-key depressing. Like, it's just tough. Because you've stopped believing God for more. But that's why I have so much respect for Pastor Ryan and Amy. Because they've maintained bold faith in a critical culture. Like, y'all see it. It's like, people are like, how are you going to open up the church in the middle of Bay? Don't you know there's still a pandemic going on? And Pastor Ryan's like, well, Walmart is essential. And you don't have to come. But we, so are we. We're essential. You know? Here he goes again talking about money and giving. All the church wants is my money. And all they talk about is money. And first of all, you ain't got no money. Second of all, We don't want to get anything from you. We're trying to get something to you. We want God's hand to be on your finances, okay? Or or my favorite, another building campaign, another building, all these buildings, all they care about is the numbers. Why do we need another building? The old one's fine. Because you won't leave. And there's still people far from God that need to experience new life in Jesus. So we got to make room somehow, okay? Are y'all thankful to be a part of a church that has bold faith and pastors that still believe bold things from God? It excites me. Let's go back to the Bible. Y'all getting me off my notes. Second Kings, look at verse 18. He said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. Somebody say three times. But the man was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he claimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. We all have a three. We all have a three. A three is essentially the, the point that you've maybe subconsciously decided is, the, is your personal limit. I call it like the if-then. Like, well, if they apologize and seem like they sincerely mean it and maybe cry a bit, then I'll forgive them. That's my three. That's my if and my then. That's my, that's my limit. That's my limit for when I'll do what God wants me to do. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Warriors fan because I'm a Christian, so I'm going to root for God's team. And 
Shout out all you fake Suns fans. Um, and uh, so a couple years ago, my wife and I, uh, it was her birthday, and the Warriors were playing the Suns on her birthday, which is New Year's Eve. So I hit up one of my friends. And I was like, hey, bro, I know you got Suns, or Warriors Suns tickets. You, work, you got connects. Can you give me some tickets? He's like, absolutely, I got you. So he sent me some tickets. So we go to the game, and, um, you know, we first, we get there early, you know, because it's a Warriors game. It's not like church where I can just show up in the third song. Like, I got to get there early, right? That was a subliminal diss for all of you who want to show up at the third. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> And so we get there early. I go, you know, get my chicken tenders and my waffle fries and spend $75 on that, you know. And I'm excited. And then I, I get there and I'm, I'm going down. And I, I, I saw my section, but I couldn't figure out where my seat was. So I saw the usher. I'm like, hey, where I go? He's like, oh, you go down there. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm walking a little bit more. And I find the next usher. I'm like, hey, where do I sit? He's like, oh, you go down there. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I walk a little bit more. And I find the third usher. And they're like, I'm like, hey, where's my seat? He's like, oh, you go down there. I'm like, you're trying to get me kicked out this gym. Quit playing. He's like, no, no, no. You see, it doesn't have a number, it has a letter because it's floor seats. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Let's go. Don't tell me I'm, I'm going. And so would you believe it? We parked our brown behinds right on the floor. Like we were just on the floor. Like Stephen Curry and me had a moment where we locked eyes and I felt what he was feeling. I believe, you know what I mean? It's my, it's my story. I'm sticking to it. And um, it, was the, it was the best night of my life. Okay. Other than when I got married and when one of my kids was born. Okay. But it was amazing. It was amazing. And so we're at the game and it's, it's awesome. And then at halftime, uh, Jenna, my other daughter, she happened to be there, but she was up in the nosebleed. So we took a picture at halftime. They're like, hey, we got to go. We don't belong here. You know what I mean? Like we're down there. So we'll bye. And um, it was the best night ever. And then so a couple of days later, I'm talking to my friend because he went to, uh, he had the same friend as me. And so he went to a different game a couple of days later and he had the same seats. And he was like, how'd you like it? We were telling stories. And he was like, what, how, what they serve at the buffet for you? And I was like, who's Buffett? What are you talking about? He said, you know, the buffet. I'm like, what buffet? He said, well, when you have floor seats, you have access to the player's lounge where the families have a buffet just for the player's family and you get to eat with them. You, you telling me, you, tell, you, you telling me that I spent $75 on chicken tenders and waffle fries? And I could have been eating filet mignon with Auntie Aisha Curry in the back. Like, I could have been with my Auntie Aisha Curry eating filet. Y'all, it was the worst day of my life. It was the absolute worst day of my life. Because I realized that I settled for less, but I had access to more. And this is what breaks my heart for Christians today, is that so many of us settle for less than the purpose and the destiny and the calling that God has created us for. And we don't realize that God himself paid a price through his son Jesus for us to have access to so much more than what we see and what we settle for. And we miss it. Notice it said that Elijah told the king, strike the arrow. And he struck it three times. And then Elijah was mad and said, you'll only win three times. And I think that's ironic because a lot of us, we'd be like, what you mean I get to win three times? I'll, I'll take that. Three wins? Three months? Without looking at porn? I'll take that. Three months? Without letting my anger control my decision making? I'll take that. Three months of purity? I'll, t I'll, I'll take that. But Elijah was upset because he didn't want him to settle for just three victories. He wanted him to have access to ultimate victory, which was God's plan. And so I'm reading it and I'm trying to figure out why is Elijah so mad? He didn't tell him how many times to hit it. Like, like when, when he said, put up the bow, when he said, take the bow and shoot out the window, put up the window one more time, that was pretty. And so he said, take the bow and shoot out the window. The king did that, and Elijah was happy. But then when he said, strike the ground, he didn't give him a specific. But then Elijah got mad and started cussing him out about only hitting it three times. And you know you got to mess up when somebody who is literally dying wakes up just long enough to cuss you out and yell at you. <laughs> like, you done messed up bad. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out, bro, why are you so mad? 
And I realized Elijah knew the severity of the situation. He knew he was leaving. And I'm sure that as he's laying down, because it said right after that he died. So what I, what I envision is that he's, as he's laying out on his bed, looking out the eastern window, looking out at the horizon, looking out at the future, both for him and for the people of Israel, he hears the beating of the arrow, which is what he wants here. He wants to know that the king who's going to lead the next generation is going to be persistent. He wants to know that the king that's going to lead the next generation is going to go beyond what's expected and do what's necessary. He wants to know that the king that's going to lead the next generation isn't going to quit when it's convenient. He wants to hear the rhythm of faithfulness. He wants to hear the rhythm of consistency. He wants to hear the rhythm of perseverance because there's a rhythm to it. And the moment the rhythm stopped, it triggered him because it let him know that this guy isn't fit to lead the next generation because he's going to quit the moment I stop holding his hand. The moment he stops hearing a new word, he won't keep doing the old word. And that's what upset Elisha. And it reminds me of the fact that a lot of us, we've been striking the arrow. We've been fighting for our families. We've been fighting for our marriages. We've been fighting for our jobs and for our dreams and our businesses. And we're tired. Because a lot of us are at a point where we feel like, God, I've been striking this arrow and nothing's changed. I've been trying to love them, but they still act like the devil. I've been praying for them but they're still wilding out. That's not the kid that I raised. This isn't the life I envisioned. And we're just tired of striking. And that's why I'm so thankful for what Jesus said in Matthew. Jesus said something so powerful. He said, my Lord said to his Lord, well done, my good and famous servant. Right? Well done, my good and popular servant. Well done, my, I'm sorry, well done, my good and successful servant. Yeah? Well done, my good and spiritual servant. No? Well done, my good and what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I love that. You know why I love that? Because I have students who will serve Jesus on Sunday and contemplate suicide on Monday because they're tired. And they need to know that, no, no, there is a joy that awaits those who are faithful. They need to know that it's not based on those who are famous. It's not based on those who are successful. It's not based on those who, who, who are spiritual. It's only for the faithful that the joy of the Lord comes to those. It's only for those who say, God, I may not have it all together. I may not get it all right. I may not, I may not have the resume or the resources, but if you just need somebody that'll show up consistently, then here I am. If you just need somebody that won't quit once it's not convenient and they'll stay consistent even after it's not popular, I'll, you, then I'll show up. God, if you just need somebody that'll say, God, you can take my mess and use it as a message. God, I'll be faithful. God, I won't stop on three. I'll be faithful. I won't quit. I'll keep going. You can't stop on three. You came in a night, your, your marriage is on the rocks, you're tired. You don't feel appreciated, you don't feel seen. But as long as you're physically safe, I want to encourage you, don't stop on three. You've been praying for that kid and you raised them in church. You, play, you spent all the money on therapy. You've done all the counseling and they still won't get it together. And I want to tell you, God wants you to know, don't you stop on three. You better keep praying. They're walling out now, they're, they're ditching school to hang out with their girlfriend right now, and you don't know that one day God's going to have them be a youth pastor, and they're going to talk to thousands of people, and they're going to get them led to Jesus into a future they didn't even know they had. Don't you stop on three. You've been trying to quit that addiction for the longest, and every time you think you're in a good spot, you relapse, and so you're at this point where you're, you don't even want to come to church anymore because you feel like a hypocrite lifting your hands up on Sunday and then touching that thing on Tuesday and drinking that thing on Wednesday, and you're ready to quit, and God wants you to know, don't you stop on three. Don't you stop on three. The business isn't where you want it to be. Don't matter. Don't stop on three. The depression hasn't gone away. Don't you stop on three. Am I helping anybody tonight? Don't you stop on three. 
And I want to give you a why. I want to tell you why. I kept reading 2 Kings. And after chapter 13, there's a chapter 14. <laughs> Who knew? And in chapter 14, it says something very interesting. Put it up for me, please. It said, Amaziah, son of Joash, began to rule over Judah in the second year of the reign of King Jehoesha of Israel. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Jeho... These names suck. They need to be just Sarah, Hank, Frank. Come on, God. Next verse. Catch this. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not like his ancestor David. Instead, he followed the example of his who? He followed the example of his father, Joash. Amaziah did not destroy the pagan shrines and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. Why does that matter? I feel like Holy Spirit showed me something. He said, this matters because the point that you stop at will be the point that your children start at. And the way you live your life, the way you live your legacy will either be their launching pad into destiny or it will be their lid to mediocrity. Because all he did was follow the path of his father. And what did his father do? He, he allowed a culture of, of, of mutt living, of mutt spiritual living, where it's partial obedience and partial I do what I want. That was the legacy. And I need you to know today, parents, I want you to ask yourself something. Will your children live out their God-destined purpose because of you or in spite of you? That's the question. That's the responsibility we have as parents. And I know what a lot of y'all are thinking. Shh, thank God I'm not a parent. <laughs> this part does not apply to me. No, 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 no. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because an entire generation is watching how you live. And the way you live your life will either give them the permission to settle for what is, or it'll give them the power to exceed what they've never even seen before. That's what living legends do. They live their life as if others are dependent on it, even if they don't know them. Do me a favor, every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe that God has been speaking to some of you tonight. And he desires for you to live a life of legacy. But the first step is to give him your life. You can only live out your purpose when you first give your life to the purpose giver. And so if you're in here tonight and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do not have a relationship with God, what better day to do it than on Father's Day? What better opportunity to begin a relationship with your Heavenly Father than today? And so if you're in here today and you'd like to accept the legacy and the purpose that God has for your life by accepting Him as your Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. Matter of fact, we're going to say this prayer as a family and we're going to say it loud and together. If this is what you're believing for, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I confess that you are Lord and I am not. I believe that I am imperfect and you are perfect. And today, I give you my life. One day at a time, I will pursue the purpose that you died for me to have. And I will accept the relationship that you rose for me to live in. From this day on, I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give a round of applause to all of our family members. Listen, if you did that for the first time, I want you to do something bold. I want you to do something legendary. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, I accepted God today. Because we wanna encourage you, we wanna give you something. We don't want you to walk out of here the same way you came. So one, you know that God loves you. Two, you're a part of his family. Three, you're ready to live out a, leg a legendary life. Just raise your hand, raise your hand. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We got your Bible. Yes, 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 yes. That's the best decision you'll ever make. Now I wanna do one more thing. I need every father to stand up. Every single father, stand up. Hurry up, we don't have a lot of time. People got dinner plans, come on, stand up. If you're online watching this, I need you to stand up. I don't care if you're in the bathroom, stand up, stand up. Because here's what happens. We live in a culture today that demasculinates, demasculinizes men, where they make you feel like you don't matter, that fatherhood is not that significant. Any woman could be a father. That if you've messed up too much, then you've disqualified yourself. And I want you to know something today. This church, we do not believe any of that. We believe that here you will be built up, not, not broken down. 
And so I want to pray over every single father in this place or that's watching online or that will watch in the future because you need to know that God is with you. He is for you. He's not against you. And you don't have a right to stop on three. You got to keep going. So I need everyone to put your hands towards these men. If you're next to them, put your hand on their shoulder. And we're going to pray a blessing over them. God, I pray for every single father in this place or that's, that's watching this. God, I pray for every father that you have called. They didn't ask for this. You chose them. And you still choose them. And God, in spite of their imperfections, in spite of their pitfalls, in, in spite of their mistakes, you have not disqualified them. God, in spite of the fact that many of them are trying to live out a legacy that they never even saw for themselves, you are with them every step of the way. And God, that the fact that they have not given up, the fact that they are still here means that there is still hope, there is still a purpose, there is still grace for them to restore the relationships that may be broken, for them to pursue the calling that you have on their lives, for them to lead their families as the kings and the priests and the prophets as you created them to be. God, when you see them, you are not disappointed. You are not ashamed. You are not disgusted. You are proud because when you see them, you see yourself. You see the living, breathing image of God in these men. So God, I pray that you speak your life over them. God, let them believe your voice louder than the voice of their own fears and insecurities and doubts. But let them believe in the hope of their future more than the mistakes of their past. Let them know, God, that the future ahead of them is brighter than the past behind them. And that as long as they don't stop striking, they are still qualified. There is still hope and it's not too late. God, I pray grace. I pray mercy, I pray blessing and favor and your anointing and your wisdom and your love and your humility over every single father and over every legacy that they represent. I thank you that the future is in good hands because their hands are in your hand and their lives are in your life. And God, we will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.